You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-host, Raul. Got a special guest, friend of the pod, back for his third time, Brendan Marks from The Athletic. Um, just talked offline, but again, Brendan, congrats on the getting married and amping up for the season. Busy time for you. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, if y'all aren't familiar, Brendan writes for The Athletic, so definitely go check them out. We'll plug everything here in a little bit for that. But for today, it's almost about about time to tip off. CTC is right around the corner. Um, so we figured we'd have Brendan come on, talk a little bit about Duke, talk a little bit about the ACC, maybe even hit on those guys eight miles down the road that we don't like to talk about a whole lot. Um, just to kind of see what's out there, let's talk landscape a little bit. Um, Brendan, thanks for coming on. I'll toss it to you here. Duke comes in pretty highly touted, you know, that's, I guess, as usual, you know, for us, that sound not to sound um, facetious or anything, but we're back at the top, right? Number two, big expectations. A lot of uh, a lot of guys returning. Um, I think we're second in the the preseason poll right now. Does that track with you? Do you see Duke on Kansas level, or do you? Is there still more that you want to see? Yeah, I, I would argue. I think Duke is probably the number one team to me. Um, mm-hmm. Just looking at the national landscape, I mean, I think you know you obviously look at the the transfer hall that Kansas brought in and the returners that they have as well. And there's an argument to be up there for sure, but. I, I just think top to bottom, you know, and I've, I've talked about this with some of my colleagues recently, like Duke has all of the ingredients that you would want in a Final Four contender and a national title contender. Like all of the pieces to me are, are there. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think if, if this team was not starting in the top three, then this would have been a stacked year of college basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that tracks for me for sure. Okay. Okay. I think we've talked about it, too, in terms of just the – what led to it and so it's not so much typically when duke's been up here in the last decade it's been based on a a class coming in and we have a great class coming in no no disrespect to the freshmen but i think for this year it's almost more about what we brought back um and we really haven't had that level of um you know retention i guess in almost a decade i think going back to 2009 2010 ironically when shire won the national championship as a as a player not a whole lot has been talked about that in terms of Duke not losing anyone to the portal. Um, 
Does that, I know we have a one-year sample in of one, do you see a shift for Shire or do you think something was just unique to that first group? They all just kind of came together your first year, our first year, or should Duke fans kind of maybe somewhat expect more of that going forward? Yeah, I, I think both things are kind of true to a certain extent. Like, I think on one hand, yes, the fact that he brought in 11 new players last year meant that naturally there was going to be a larger number of returners this year. Like, to some extent, I think it's cyclical like that. Like, at the end of this season, I'm expecting there to be much more turnover. Like, I would not be surprised if the entire starting lineup leaves this year. Sure. Um, you know, you're talking about maybe losing your top six, seven guys. Like, that's that's very much in the realm of possibility. So naturally, there's going to be less, you know, less coming back next season. But at the same time, I think very clearly this is a shift that John has been trying to implement. I think that it's it's one of the things for me, at least early on, you look at and you go, okay, this is like a tenant of a John Shire Duke program. Like I think that his desire to specifically recruit guys who are not committed to being one and done is a is a key change from what his predecessor was doing. Um, and I, you know, I think like Kyle Filipowski is obviously the best example. Top five recruit could have been a top twenty lottery guy. Um, you know, obviously had the opportunity to go pro. I know he had the, the hip issue and that was, you know, part of the reason why he decided to come back. But he also has said multiple times and, and talking to him, you know, even two weeks ago, media day, I love Duke. I wanted to come back. I saw the opportunity that we had. We had a great time last year. Like those are the kind of guys that you see John going after. And, and that is not to say that there won't be one and dones every year, because I think they will be like, He's not changing the talent that he's going after, but I do think it's a very specific personality type that he's gone after. Um, yeah. And so he, he also, I think, you know, part of that retention question is he understands the value of continuity and experience in college basketball today. Um, the COVID years contributed to that, but college basketball has never been older. It's never been more right. experienced. And so I think he, the other thing that you see him doing in the recruiting trail is he's targeting guys a little bit further down the line. You know, guys who maybe are not top 20, but they're top 50, top 60 guys he knows in theory can be there for multiple years and can grow into players by the time they're juniors and seniors, which we don't see a ton of anymore. So I think those are two ways that he is sort of shifting things. Again, I say all that and they're probably going to lose seven or eight guys next year. Um, but I do think his philosophy is different. And then I think, you know, in, when we're talking about this in the macro in the long term, it will stabilize to where there is less of that turnover than we have seen over the last decade, for example. And when you're, when you're recruiting those kind of top 50 to top 60 guys, they might not come in and play right away. So how does he go about kind of keeping them happy, kind of making them feel involved enough where they're not transferring? Because that was always a problem under Coach K where we would get these guys who we thought would be the kind of foundation and stay for three or four years. And then they leave after one year just because they weren't getting any burn. Yeah, well, I think one way that you do that is by you also have them in the same bucket as some of those five-star top 15 guys. You know, like it, it is, I think if you had told a Duke fan this like four years ago, hey, you're going to have two five-star top 20 freshman guards coming in and it's possible neither of them starts. Um, <laughs> like that, that would not, you would have had me commit. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I think that, you know, again, we're talking about this year's freshman class and I'm sure we'll dive into these guys more individually, but you know, I, I don't think it's unrealistic that at least one of these guys is not really going to get a lot of burn, one of these five-star freshmen. And so if you are a Jalen Blakes or if you are a Jaden Shute, if you are somebody a little bit more down the roster, Darren Harris in next year's recruiting class, you're seeing like, hey, it's not just me. Like Shire is going to play the best guys and he's going to use the portal and he's going to have returners. And it's it's a little bit of a different Duke experience than we've seen in the past decade. So I think that that's one way that he does it. And then also – 
I'll see how much it comes to fruition this year. But I genuinely do think that everybody's got a chance to crack the rotation at the start of the year. Um, yeah. You know, if you look at this team, like if I told you Jaden shoot was going to be a 42% three point shooter this year, you're going to find a role for yeah. him. <laughs> you know, I, you know, if, if Caleb Foster struggles for some reason, Jared McCain struggles for some reason. And I told you Jalen Blake's had to be your eighth man off the bench. Okay. Sure thing. Totally. You know? Yeah. So I, I think that he's done a really good job of spacing things out of balancing them. And also of you know, treating, those top 60 guys, he, he doesn't really treat them any differently than the top 10 guys. They, they still have that opportunity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he's talked about, like, we had him on over the summer and he mentioned this, the idea of making sure everyone on his team sees light, right? Or sees this opportunity or this pathway for you earning time. And I think that's so huge for a guy like Christian Reeves, a guy like Jaden Shute, a guy like Jalen Blakes, a Darren Harris next year of, can you at least envision what has to happen so it doesn't feel like it's empty work, basically, right? That you're, you're not just doing all of this and there's there's no daylight whatsoever. Um, I think part of that comes from just who he was as a player too, right? Like this was a guy who started as a freshman, came off the bench as a sophomore. Now granted, like six men of the year capabilities off the bench. Right. But he, he's been in all of those roles, you know, I think he, he says he came off the bench, but if you're playing 30 minutes, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Well, um, well and the other, the other thing that I would add there too is, you know, I know we only have a one-year sample size, but he has shown that he's not necessarily committed to any one, you know, set roster or rotation. Right. You know, like if if you know Ryan Young were to start the year, and then it's Jared McCain, and then it's TJ Power at some point, Foster at some point. Like he's shown that like he's willing to make those changes. He was bringing a first-round pick off the bench by the end of last year, so um, yeah. I, I think that's another way that guys see like, okay, you know, there there are opportunities. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a, a great segue here. So who is the fifth starter, right? It's like the fifth Beatle conversation going around here. Like we have Proctor, Roach, Mitchell, and Flip, who I think most people feel pretty sure that we can pigeon those guys in. Um, who do you think, who do you like as that fifth guy? We've heard TJ Power mentioned early on. Now that's kind of shifted to maybe a Jared McCain, maybe a Caleb Foster because he's bigger, can play on the wing a little bit. Who, who do you see as, you know, by January has kind of put a lock on that? From everything I've heard, uh, and and I was very much on the, you know, it could be power. I think he gave really good size on the wing, you know, especially when we saw him over the summer um, at some, you know, practices. But now it seems to have pretty clearly uh, shifted to Jared McCain from everything that I've been told. Um, you know, he's a guy who's obviously garnered a lot of praise from the external work he's done this summer at the various camps. But he's also garnering that inside the program, you know, the, the limited times that scouts have been able to see him in person since the end of his high school season, it's been nothing but praise. Um, and, and I think that in terms of what Duke needs, he offers it. He's the shooter. You know, like if I told you Jared McCain was the best shooter on this team by the end of the year, I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. Um, so I think that he right now is probably in the front runner spot for that. Obviously, that means Duke's going to play a lot differently than it played last year. Uh, you're talking about sliding Filipowski and Mitchell up a position each, you know, Filipowski at center. What does that look like? What does that look like when you're playing a team with, you know, a little bit more size? Could power have an opportunity, you know? So I think that obviously Duke is going to have to play differently this year. The, the roster composition is different, but it sounds to me like right now McCain is in that spot and Duke's going to be, you know, rolling with a three guard lineup and some small ball and playing accordingly a little bit differently than last year. What do you think of the combination defensively when you're playing a guard kind of as small as Roach and then you're playing um, McCain as well, and then you don't have a lively back there on the back line. That would be my only concern. It's not not having lively. It's having three small guards plus not having lively. 
I hear you. And I think that to me, I, I've thought about this a lot. This is probably, you know, what Duke does in terms of rim protection, I think is probably my greatest question about this team. I don't think mm-hmm. I'm alone in that regard. <laughs> um, you lose Derek Lively. Naturally, that's a question. But I, I try to think of it in terms of, okay, if you don't have the length and if you don't have the rim protector back there and you're subbing in, you know, McCain in the starting lineup, and that's sort of how I'm thinking at this point already, then what are you adding? To me, you're adding a lot of speed. You're adding a lot of quickness. You're adding quick hands. And so to me, I, I would not be surprised to see Duke play a much more aggressive style of defense this year. I think that they're going to be trapping the ball more, especially trapping the opposing big. I think that's something that we definitely could see. Um, at Media Day a couple of weeks ago, they talked about switching one through four, potentially switching one through five. That worked when you had Derek Lively because he could cover guards on the perimeter. I don't know if that works when you have Kyle Filipowski on the perimeter. I think you know, the, um, the Oregon State game last year was one where you know that was a disaster of an offensive game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go back, and I, I, you know, I left that game, and probably one of my biggest takeaways was how pleasantly surprised I was at Filipowski in space defensively. Yeah. So I think that he could do some of that. Um, but obviously, when you have a guy like Roach and McCain, those are, two, those are two smaller guards, and there's going to be deficiencies that come with that. So I think Duke's going to – I think Shire knows this. I think that he understands he's got more speed. He can be more aggressive. He can apply more pressure. They want to turn people over more. They want to play a faster pace. Not to say that they're not going to be a, a solid defensive team this year, but I do think the balance, like last year they were you know, a top 25 offensive team and a top 10, top 5 defensive team. I think you could be looking at that situation sort of reversing this year. Yeah. And I think that's okay. I, I think that one of the things that John has shown already early in his career is that he's willing to be flexible around his parts, um, which I think by the end of the Coach K tenure was one of the things that maybe you couldn't say about him. Um, and so I'm, I, that, that is how I'm sort of expecting it to go. They'll be trapping, they'll be pressing, they'll be blitzing. Um, and again, they do have the luxury, if they need to, of rolling out an entirely new front court or backcourt. So, like, if McCain is starting, like, you've still got Jalen Blake's coming off the bench. You've got, C- you got size, you've got strength there. You've got Caleb Foster coming off the bench. You've got power coming off the bench. Like, it's a more physically demanding style of play defensively, but I think they have the bodies to make it a viable option. It's not going to be as good as having Derek Lively. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but, but, but it can work. It can work. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we've seen, um, you know, Mark Mitchell seems to have taken a big leap in the weight room. Dude looks pretty jacked. We had Geisinger on, and he was talking about the idea of, you know, maybe Duke's ceiling is really more about, like, what can Mark Mitchell do as a help side backline defender, right? Like, can he grow in that? Can he become a little bit of a of a threat at the rim. A guy like Sean Stewart, who's got a standing vert that just broke Zion. Like, <laughs> can you use him on that help side, right? Like, can we pick some of this stuff up? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we'll get out and run a little bit. That seems to have been like a really big focus. You're going to be able to put five guys on the floor that can take the ball off the rim and go. Like, Flip can do that, you know, maybe not ideally, but he can, you know, if it was without pressure. So um, it's going to be interesting, you know, I think, Personally, I'm a little bit jaded from the K years of like, we want to play fast. And then we always kind of like settle into the same pace, basically, right? Like, that's just maybe the nature of it a little bit. Um, so so we'll see, you know, I, I think most of us are at least, it's hard to see this team not going eight and a half, nine deep, you know, unless injuries happen. So, you know, that maybe that'll help a little bit too. Um, of the guys coming back, Brendan, do you, who who are you looking at that's going to take the biggest leap? I think Flip is the guy that's going to move more into the national conversation, but he had a hell of a, a freshman campaign. That's not so much of a big leap there. Is there someone who you're saying, no, this guy could be 
just an average freshman, but as a sophomore, we're talking about all American type honors here. Yeah. I mean, I think you already started to see it the back half of last year, but like to me, it's pretty easily Proctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I love watching him play. I think he is such a fun player. Um, you know, you can go back in that Tennessee game. There were so many things that went wrong. The second half, that dude was absolutely destroying what Tennessee was trying to do in pick and roll defense. Like mm-hmm. he was carving up their drop coverage. And he, he really started to do that as early on as January, I would say. Um, it took the shooting coming around a little bit, but to me, Proctor has everything that you would want sort of in like a lead guard. Um, you know, he, he has the shooting piece. I think we saw that. Like, I, I don't have his exact 10-game splits pulled up. But, I mean, he was 36 37%, I believe, from three over the last 10 games or so when Duke was on that, you know, massive winning streak and won the ACC championship. Uh, so I think that he's made some strides there. Obviously has the passing. We saw what he could do on ball as a defender. Um, the thing that I am interested to see is, like, I, I think you could make the argument that after Lively, he was – you know, the second or third most important defender on the team by the end of last season, Mark, obviously as well. And we saw what happened without him against Tennessee. (laughs) Um, But I think that Tyrese is going to have a much different role defensively this year because he's going to be, I mean, he has more size, so he's going to be asked to do a little bit more. He's stronger. He's bulked up in the weight room too. Um, Tyrese to me is a guy who like I vote the hype around him last year coming in. I voted for him for ACC rookie of the year because I had heard so much about, this guy is going to be a machine. And he shot 9% until December. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he looked very much like the player that I expected him to. And so I think, you know, Filipowski, I I would expect him to start the year as a preseason All-American. Jeremy Roach, he kind of is what he is at this point. Mark Mitchell, obviously, I think is he's probably the guy who has the most like swing ability. Like if he hits, like I think he has the, the greatest potential to raise Duke's ceiling. But like to me, Tyrese Proctor can be the best player on this team, probably needs to be one of the two best players on this team for Duke to hit its ceiling. And I think he can be like, I, I, you know, of, of all of the stocks to buy on this Duke team this year, his is the one that I feel most convinced. Like Tyrese Proctor is going to have a good year. Duke fans should enjoy him because this is going to be his last year there. Um, I, I think he's that talented. I, I really do. Even though he's limited athletically a little bit, he, the Duke can just play. Yeah. Yeah, and he's got the he's got the European kind of influence too, right? And just how they play the game, um, the probability is what I like about him the most. I think of like his IQ in a ball screen. What it, and I think what he really adds, and we just don't see it a lot with these incoming freshmen, is he knows what to do with himself when he doesn't have the ball, and that is just so huge, right? The ability to relocate, the ability to find corners, to create space. Um, a lot of times we get in these guards, especially as freshmen, great on the ball don't really know how to play off of it, right? Which really kind of clogs it up. I mean, you need a guy in the corner, but if you're just standing there, that's not really doing a whole lot, right? So that's my probably my biggest, um, what I like the most about Proctor. But uh, I want to dive in a little bit more on Proctor, but let's take a quick break before we do that. We'll come back and talk about the captains that were recently announced. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday. 
Experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If. Ready PG. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. All right, let's come back. Um, so, you know, last year, Roach was the one guy named captain, um, probably rightfully so, based on the roster construction. Um, were you surprised at all at the addi- at the new additions? I think, you know, Ryan Young was, we talked about it as a guy that could easily be that, right? The vocal, um, the grad student, been in college basketball forever. Proctor was kind of the interesting one because we talked about, like, can you single out one of the sophomores? Like, does that do anything? Does that create any kind of awkwardness there? Um, John has praised what Tyrese has done over the summer, really in terms of, like, player accountability, being able to get in guys' face a little bit and, like, bring them up to the level that they need to. Um, What do you think that says about John naming him a sophomore captain? And then on the other side, what do you think that says about Tyrese and the season that we might see? I think if Duke had voted again on captains in the middle of last season, like in December, Brian Young would have been voted one. Yeah. Like he made, he made that kind of immediate impact like that to me, you know, I sort of looked at him as an unofficial captain already. Um, what he did for lively and helping him get up to speed. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that he gets enough credit for that still. Um, the Proctor one is certainly interesting to me, but the one word that you just mentioned that I have continued to hear is accountability. Like he is the guy and listen, like I, I think one of the things that a lot of Duke fans like about Tyrese is like, he does have some FU to his game for lack Mm -hmm. of a better term, you know, Mm -hmm. like he is the guy who is not afraid of anything. Um, And I think that Jeremy has some of that too, but Tyrese, especially like the accountability is the one thing that I keep hearing. You know, he's the one who is trying to lift the boat this summer. You know, he is the one who, if things are not going well in a practice, he's, he's not happy and he's letting that be known. And I think that most teams need to have that guy. And, I don't know that Jeremy's quite that guy. Definitely don't think Ryan Young is that guy. And I think that you do need to have somebody like that. John has made a really big point. I, I'm sure you guys have heard him say this a couple of times. The best teams are player-led teams. Yep. And I think that Jeremy's a good leader. I think that Ryan's a good leader. But I think that you need somebody who can play the bad cop and who, like, if, if somebody's not producing the way they need to, can go to them and say that. And say, hey, man, look, we need more from you. And who better to do that to a Filipowski or to a Mitchell or to one of the freshmen than, than Proctor, a guy who came in and admittedly struggled last year, but he's their peer. You know, he's been there now. He's done that. And he also opted to come back. Um, you know, they, the staff has talked a lot about wanting Filipowski to be a little bit more vocal. I think that that'll probably come. I think that having the injury and not being as involved and in stuff over the summer probably contributes to not being as in there um, in terms of accountability. Uh, but you know, I, I listen, like, like I just said, I am buying all of the Tyrese Proctor stock. I think that he's going to have an incredible season. I think that he's going to be one of the best guards in the country. You're already seeing him on, you know, big boards and lottery mocks and like, he's that type of talent. He really is. And, you know, I think it was a blessing in disguise to some extent that he struggled the way he did at the start of last year, because if he had carried that 10 game split over, over the, you know, if he had started doing that in November, he ain't here, (laughs) he's, he's gone. Um, 
So for Duke to end up getting two years out of him, again, that's an example of a kind of guy John is targeting, was willing to bring him in early, give him an opportunity, let him play through his struggles. Um, but I think Tyrese for sure, like I was not shocked that he was named the captain based on everything I've heard. And given the role he's going to play, I almost think that you need him to be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've compared it. Well, I definitely have a little bit. And this sounds kind of really weird, but if you go back 30 years and you look at a Bobby Hurley coming in as a freshman and you heard a Leitner talk about, yeah, it kind of irked me a little bit that coach gave him the ball, gave him the keys right away, and he struggled a little bit, right? Clearly that team went to the national championship game, didn't have the result, but he let him play like he was playing the long game. And I think in today's landscape, the long game is now two years. Right? Yeah. I don't have four, but it's like, if I let this guy learn, if I give him the keys right away, I'm looking year two, right? I'm looking at what I can draw out of this kid. Um, and I think we're starting to see that over the season. I mean, typically that freshman to sophomore, it used to be kind of sophomore to junior, but now it's freshman, sophomore is the biggest kind of hurdle, the biggest leap that we're seeing from guys. I don't think it's out of the question that we see Proctor be one of the best point guards in the country. I mean, I know you got the Colet kid who everyone loves. I'm a big fan of him as well, but Outside of that, I mean, I'm looking at him as a all ACC guy, like potentially second team All American, maybe first team. Who knows? But um, do you see him that way nationally too, or like where where do you think he falls in terms of just like how good he can be on the national landscape? Yeah, I'm interested to see how many of these guys cannibalize each other for these awards. Yeah, because I think that some of that is inevitable. Um, yeah, the, the one that I always think of is a couple of years ago when. Vernon Carey to me was like clearly the ACC yeah. player of the year and him and Trey Jones split everything uh, would have split everything. And Duke just didn't put Vernon Carey up yeah. for awards. So as to avoid that cannibalization, um, like I, I think you could see that with Tyrese and with, with flip this year. I think those are the two guys like flip. I'm expecting preseason all American for sure. Like I, I would be very surprised if that's not the case, but Tyrese, like you, you talk about Kolek. Um, I think Isaiah Collier out at USC is up there. I think RJ Davis, Duke fans are not going to want to hear that. I think RJ Davis at North Carolina is going to have a really good year. Um, maybe, you know, Castle at UConn. Like there, there are some other ones, but Tyrese is a hundred percent in that conversation. If not, you know, second in the pack, um, like he's, he's going to be up there. And again, like if Duke is going to hit the ceiling that I think that we all believe that they have, he's going to have to play that way. You know, um, I also think the thing that we, you know, we talk about being able to play through some of those mistakes last year and the benefit of that, you know, because he was able to do that. Now you don't necessarily have to have that this year. You know, like if you don't have to start Foster and McCain, you can, but you don't have to. If those guys are struggling early on, you don't necessarily have to play them. Um, so I think that was a real privilege that Tyrese had that because going forward, I'm, I'm not sure there's going to be as much of that. Mm -hmm. um, just because I do think that John wants to have more continuity. So, you know, he's a guy that I think will really benefit from that. And yeah, I'd be, I'd be very surprised if he's not in the all ACC mix. Um, again, how much is, are he and flip going to cannibalize each other? Uh, but both of those guys to me are, are all ACC caliber guys, potentially all American caliber guys. Like I'd be very, especially if Duke is in the top five all season long, they are the ones who are going to get the national attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's if, not, just, if not, something has gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, let's hope that's the case, right? Like we want those guys up there. Um, I do agree that sometimes you're going to have like, you have two, uh, so many guys that are that are mentioned, nominated, you, you do start to lose some of that 
Um, it's just the nature of it. I think for for Duke fans, we'd be pretty happy if that's the case, right? If we're who do we nominate would be a great question to have. If you have that many guys that you can that can put in there, um, I, I think a lot's been said this off season about Jeremy Roach in terms of like what his role might would look like. There's been kind of a lot of not so much questioning, but I think just curiosity might be a better word of like what is this going to look like? Um, is he just shoot in as the as the starter? I think that's pretty safe, but in terms of what the role might be, the usage might would be, um, Roach is typically a guy that's kind of preferred to play a bit slower. And I don't know if that's just him or just the stuff, but he seems to be a guy that's comfortable slowing it down, getting into a half court set and trying to get into the lane and create something that way. Um, what do you think his role might look like? Do you think there could be a reduction in that? Is he going to be the closer? We see the Quinn Cook senior year tossed around, and I hate that comparison because what Quinn did was just so unique. Um, and Quinn was already just a much better shooter. So, like, it's really hard to say Roach is going to jump nine points and three-point percentage. Hopefully so. But, you know, that that's a big jump there. Um, what are you looking for for Jeremy in terms of his role? I think this is John Shire's greatest challenge this year. Because I think that Jeremy Roach is probably not one of the five most talented players on this team. Mm. He's your captain, and he is your most tenured guy. He's the one who helped lead you to the Final Four two years ago. You know, he's the one who bailed you out of a lot of bad situations last year. And yet things have changed. You know, like at the end of games, I think he's still going to have the opportunity to be one of the closers because mm -hmm. I think that he's shown he thrives in those situations. But if we got to the end of the year and I told you that he was the fourth best guard on this team, I don't think that would be shocking. I think it'd be surprising, but not shocking. Um, to me, I, I think what he has to be this year is more of what he was the back half of last year. He's got to be more of a scoring oriented guy because in terms of setting the table, I agree. He prefers to slow the pace. Um, I don't know that he always makes the best decisions in that regard. And I think that you saw when he was able to play without the responsibility of setting other guys up, I think he played a lot more freely and I think he was a lot more efficient. So if you can get Jeremy Roach to buy into the fact that, listen, you're our closer, we need you to score, but we also need you to be deferential to these other five, six guys that we're going to be leaning on a lot. Like how, how deferential you can get him to be is I think John's toughest challenge this year because you need him. You're going to need him, you know, to close games like NCAA tournament time, especially, but you know, even throughout the regular season, like you're going to need Jeremy Roach, but you don't need too much Jeremy Roach. Right. Um, it's a very fine balance because when he's allowed to play freely, you know, when they move Proctor on ball, I think Proctor clearly is much better in ball screen situations. I think he reads them better. I think he executes them better. I think he's got better size. Um, I think he's a better passer. But, but you still need Jeremy to be able to hit shots. You need Jeremy to be aggressive. Jeremy, Jeremy has been there. He's the guy who's seen it all. I think he'll have the least fear of anyone on this team. And you yeah. need that. Um, but how John manages Jeremy this year is the thing that I think could, has the potential to define the season. Because you can't lose that guy. But you also can't give him more of a role than his talent warrants, given the yeah. rest of the roster construction. Yeah, yeah. Needs Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs totally to be the pulse, too. right? The heart rate yeah. of like, let's stay at a healthy heart rate here. And he's going to be, you know, I, I think for me, there's an ocean of possibilities between senior Greg Paulus and senior Quinn Cook. And it's what are you going to get, right? Greg was a guy that was a three-year starter, came in as a senior, really saw that role 
kind of get snatched underneath him. You know, you get a John Shire, a Nolan Smith, and Elliot Williams, guys that have came in or taken that leap, like a Proctor, or like a Jalen Blakes, or like a Jared McCain kill. You see a parallel there. I think there's a possibility that he gets close to Quinn Cook-esque in terms of like role, maybe. Um, but it's going to be interesting, right? Like how much has he evolved as an off-ball player? And I think that's the real key of like, can he, is he really bought into that? Is he really bought into being kind of that that um, that third initiator, third wave creator to come in when it breaks down, to get to the mid-range, to be able to do stuff like that? I love him as the closer you know, play 20 minutes throughout the first 35 minutes, and then you're you're playing the last five, right? You're just in there, and this is your time to kind of get get going here. This is the um, first um, deep backcourt he's actually been a part of. Yeah. So in a way, he's gotten more opportunity earlier than he might have on other teams. So that's kind of the apprehension that I have here is, you know, he was bad as a freshman, but he just played anyway because there was no other choice. You know, and he's made himself into a good player, but... Is he good enough to just keep playing when you insert multiple new guards into the lineup? Right. I, th- I think the situation two years ago has to be something he draws back on, the Keels situation. I, th- I think that Keels probably, this is just my opinion, I think Keels got a longer leash than he probably deserved. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that, that Kentucky game was the worst thing that could have happened to him. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was great, but... Also not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I don't, the Quinn comparison is one that I am told a lot, um, that I hear a lot. And I think that there are shades of it for sure, but Jeremy's not, he's not that player. He's not, he's not as good. He's just not as good. Um, yeah. he, he's a career 33% guy from three. He's a career two and a half, three assist game. You know, he's a career 10 points, you know, yeah. and, and there's a role for that player, especially like we're talking about in the last five minutes of games, but no, you're right. This is the deepest backcourt that he's been a part of. It's the one where, you know, especially freshman year, they were bad. He was a freshman. They were young. Let him play through it. Sure. Whatever. No worries. Sophomore year, he clearly wasn't at the level they needed him to be for the bulk of the season. He got there at the end of the year and turned it up, and he deserves a lot of credit for that, but wasn't there. Again, last year, they needed him to play more and especially for all those young guys he was able to be aggressive he was able to take the shots and i think that again the second half of the year he he continued to come on i think he really thrived playing alongside tyrese that is i think the thing that probably doesn't get enough credit here is they have a great relationship yeah those two have good on-court chemistry but also off-court chemistry um and so i think that i i think of it less as it last year i think it was pretty clearly jeremy's team it was all the freshmen, but like Jeremy was, he was the guy. He was the one who knew where everything was. He knew the drills, front of the line. He's he's speaking after the losses. He's doing all that. I think that that was probably an outsized role for him even then, and it was one sort of out of necessity. This time around, it's it's not as necessary. It's yeah. just not as necessary. And so he has, when it has been necessary, he has risen to the moment. And when it hasn't, he he has been a fine college basketball player. He's a fine high major starter, but he's. He hasn't been Final Four Jeremy Roach outside of six, ten games his sophomore year, um, yeah. and, a, and a couple, a couple of standouts last year. So, I, I think how John manages that is going to be fascinating to see. I think it's going to tell us a lot about him as a coach and how he handles that. I don't think he's afraid to have those hard conversations or to tell Jeremy his roles are reduced. He did it with a first round pick in Derek last year. He benched lively at times. Like he, he's been willing to make those choices. Um, 
but this one's a little bit different. This yeah. one's a captain. This one's a senior. This is your transitionary guy. Like, Whatever ends up happening this year, I think Jeremy Roach is going to be one of the more fascinating characters in Duke basketball history just because of what he's gone through. Um, yeah. I mean, he has truly seen it all there. Um, so he, you know, like on the UNC side of things, we talk about Baycott being that guy. Like I look at, obviously they're different positions, but like I look at Jeremy Roach as being like, wow, this dude has seen a lot in his three years. And, and obviously we'll see what ends up happening this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to sound too down on Roach specifically. I think really it's just more about the fit when you have such a, a deeper backcourt and you have such a guy like Tyrese that can be your 90% on ball guy, right? Like when you have that, then it starts to create a little bit of dynamic there. Um, you know, I think for Duke fans, you know, I was at the Carolina game, like what he was able to do, he was just in their head at the end of those both games, almost played out identical where it's like, I'm going to get a high ball screen up top and you're not going to know what to do with me, right? Like I'm going to get here and they cut, you can't stop this, the craftiness around the rim. There's value there for it. It's just, for me, it's like, how do we package that, right? Like, how do you contain it? When do you empower it? When do you try to like draw it back in? Those are going to be the things that I'm looking for um, this year, for sure, out of Jeremy to see what that looks like. And, you know, for him, I think it's, he has a great opportunity here to put yourself in a conversation among Duke players that not many guys are. You make that second Final Four, um, you, you put a banner up there. I mean, that's two Final Fours under two different coaches at Duke. Who's done that, right? Like, it's it's he has an opportunity to be in those conversations. Um, the path there is is kind of windy, right? The long and winding road a little bit. But I think there's, there's interest and intrigue to see what he can do. Um, <laughs> and if he wanted to run it back for a fifth year, I guess technically he could do that as well. So we'll see. We'll continue to kind of track that across the year here. Um, it could be like pick... Baycott. Yeah. Like you yeah, you already fit, made the yeah. comparison. Just stay in school yeah. forever. Yeah. Why not? Right. Maybe you get a, a cameo on the Outer Banks or whatever new Netflix show is popping up. You get a little opportunity to kind of, you know, to dabble. Um, who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll see. But uh, let's talk briefly here about just kind of the ACC in general before we get out of here. Um, seems like a no brainer, but maybe you'll surprise me. You have Duke one or two nationally. You picking them to win the conference? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I, I, I think that the ACC as a whole will be better this year, but I think Duke is clearly number one. I don't think it's a 1A, 1B situation. Like they, yeah. to me, are in a tier of their own. Um, like they're going to be, as has been the case, I think you could argue. Definitely was the case two years ago. Not as much last year, but like two years ago, they were the only team in the conference that you could get a quad one win against. I don't think it's going to be quite that case, but like they are going to be the team that everybody is circling on the calendar. Like this is the team that we got to beat. Um, and I think the schedule shapes up pretty advantageously, um, especially once conference play, like the non-conference is tough, obviously, yeah. but in conference play, I think it's, it shapes up pretty well for them, um, which is not something I think Duke fans would have said the past couple of years. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I look at that February game, I think it's the 20th maybe against Miami. Um, like that one to me, I think is going to hold a lot of stakes. So yeah, I've got Duke as the clear number one. Um, and then I've got Carolina as a pretty clear number two. I think that okay. they're going to be, a, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I know this is a Duke podcast, but I am cautiously optimistic about North Carolina. Um, probably more so than the average reporter or fan or anything. Um, I like the pieces they've brought in. I think that, you know, they have a lot to prove this year. I think it's a really important year for Hubert Davis. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I think there are a couple of other interesting teams, Miami, Clemson, um, but, you know, Syracuse even. Um, but I think, like, 
to say that Duke is anything but the unquestioned number one would be lying. Like this is a national title contender. Anything short of like an elite eight for this team, I think would be a disappointment. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not particularly close in terms of how their talent level stacks up. Yeah. You already mentioned UNC. What do you see as the main area of improvement that you expect from them? Is it simply swapping out Caleb Love's inefficiency for Cadeau? Or is it just better chemistry? You know, because something was off last year. Yeah, For sure. For sure. I think it's a couple of things. I think so, you know, North Carolina last year had its fewest assists in a season. Mm. And it had its second worst three-point shooting percentage in a season. Which is a bad combination. <laughs> Terrible combination. <yeah. laughs> Two things you do not want individually, certainly not together. I think Hubert Davis intentionally said these are two biggest areas of weakness, and he went out and he tried to very specifically address those. So Cormac Ryan is a guy who has mm. shown the ability to be an efficient three-point shooter, and he's never played with as much talent as he has here. Um, you know, he was option number one at Notre Dame or option number two. He's going to be option four or five at North Carolina. I think he's set up – the staff loves him. Um, so I think he's in for a big year. You talk about not having any assists last year. Okay. You bring in Elliot Cadeau, who is probably the best passer UNC has had since Kendall Marshall. And you bring in Harrison Ingram too, who was kind of like a point forward at, at Stanford at times. And I think the staff is going to use him similarly. Um, you sub out the inefficiency of Caleb Love. Caleb Love, I think never fully leaned into his passing. I think that he's a good passer and decided instead he wanted to take 18 shots a game. And you know, Duke fans love that. It was great. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think you talk about getting rid of him and not that he's not a good player because he is. But in terms of the chemistry, in terms of what this roster needs, I think it's going to empower RJ Davis more. Um, and I think that RJ is, you know, one of the perennially underrated guards in the country. I, I think they have a lot of good pieces. And again, I know everyone jokes about it because he's 95 years old now, but. <laughs> Armando Baycott's like an all good, ACC yeah. ACC player in the year count. Like he's he's yeah. really good. So yeah. rebounding I, I think, machine. Yeah. Yeah. So you know you're talking about him. You're talking about Davis. You're talking about a five star point guard. You had a nice transfer hall. Um, you know. So I, I am cautiously optimistic. And again, you're talking about guys who either got absolutely embarrassed if they were on this team last year, mm -hmm. or all of their transfers came from losing programs, basically. You know, Jalen Withers did not win at all at Louisville. Cormac Ryan had a horrible year at Notre Dame. Their team did. Uh, Paxson Wozczyk is coming from Brown, you know, Ivy League. And then, who am I forgetting now? Uh, the only the only person who had serious, like, winning experience was Okonkwo from West Virginia, and he's, like, a backup for them now. Um, so, you know, Stanford didn't have a great year, Harrison Ingram. So, like, you have a lot of guys who are motivated to win. They either got really embarrassed last year or they've never won at this level. And so... I think it's a really interesting situation chemistry wise where it's like almost the opposite of last year when in the summer, North Carolina is doing photo shoots and coasting and everything like it's almost the complete opposite this year. I don't want to rabbit hole too much on uh, specific UNC players, but Harrison Ingram, I've been thinking of Theo Pinson maybe as a kind of comparison that big, big kind of point forward. Who's a really good passer. What do you think of that? Ingram's bigger. Ingram's okay. bigger. Um, I think that, you know, UNC could play Theo at point guard. They could play him. You could play him one to four, small ball mm -hmm. four. Ingram is like pretty clearly a three or four, just a three or four. He's big. Okay. I mean, he's like, he's like six, seven, two thirty five. Um, so he's, he's a big dude. I mean, he's almost more got the body of like a Mark Mitchell. Um, yeah. So I, but he's going to be asked to do similar things. He's going to be asked to shoot. He's going to be asked to create. He's going to be a driver. Um, I don't think he's nearly as good defensively as Theo Pinson was. Um, sure. 
but certainly I don't think that's a bad comparison by any means. I'm going to think flip up. Oh, go ahead. Ro. Also, I was just going to ask if you think they'll take a step back defensively without leaky black. Uh, that's the big weakness I see on UNC this year is I think they're going to be great offensively, but yeah, I'm a, I, if I were the coach, I'd be a little concerned about the defense. For sure. And I think they're going to be playing a lot more games in the 80s than the 60s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the record, I think Duke probably will be too. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I agree. Especially, they don't know, you know, we'll see if Cadeau and RJ Davis start together. Um, I think that is going to happen at some point. Maybe not for the entirety of the year, but that's two six-foot-one, six-foot guards starting in the ACC. Um defensively you know and one of them's a, a reclassifying freshman duke fans know how that goes um you know there's there's learning curve so right. i think that there are going to be some defensive struggles i think that baycott has slimmed down um he's never really been a true rim protector though so definitely you take a step back losing leaky black um and their four situation you know we'll see who sort of rises from the crop if it ends up being ingram jalen washington jalen withers you know zayden high the freshman um, has apparently been surprising people. So it, it's going to have to be much more of a team effort. Um, I think Hubert's a better offensive coach than defensive coach right now. Um, so, yeah, that's my it's, – it's kind of a similar concern for both teams, like defensively. I think the offense is going to come much more naturally than the defense for both. What about leadership? That's something that I'm looking at at Carolina in term, from the top all the way down, right? Like something happened last year um, – Personally, I think love was the easy scapegoat here, but I think there's some like, dude, you lost your team, bro. Right? Like you lost your team. Um, now if love's taking 18 shots as a fan, it's easy to blame him, but somebody's letting him do it. You know, somebody's saying, Hey, this is okay. RJ's been pretty clear that like I want to be a point guard. I view myself as a point guard. We bring in Cadeau. Like, where's the leadership here? I know it's easy to look at an RJ and a Baycott and they've been around, but like, man, you were there last year too. Um, Baycott was saying a lot of things demonstratively. I like that about him in the media. He doesn't pull it. There's no, like, here it is, you know, like all the gravy is coming on top. Like I'm, I'm calling guys out. Are you concerned at all about leadership? Or like, do you see like where that's going to come from? Cause there's a lot of new guys that we have to lock in and buy in together is that going to be a challenge or do you think the hunger is just there because we're Carolina and that can't happen again? Yeah. I, I think that Baycott to me has never been, you know, I kind of put him in the Jeremy Roach mold in terms of leadership, specifically mm -hmm. leadership. Like I think those guys have like, you know, in terms of like, obviously they're entirely different players. Um, but like demeanor wise, I don't know that they're too dissimilar. Like I don't like, they're both good leaders, I think, but they're not ever going to like get up in you. They're not, that's not how either of them are. Um, RJ, I think, can be a little bit more like that. I think the staff loves Cormac Ryan. Cormac Ryan is 25 years old. He's wow. played at he's played at three different schools now. Um, you know, ACC legends, Stanford, Notre Dame, and now UNC. Uh, <laughs> so, so Cormac Ryan, the staff really likes his leadership. Um, I think RJ Davis has kind of been in a reverse situation from Jeremy Roach. He's had to share the backcourt with Caleb Love the last three years. And now he's finally getting the opportunity to be the the number one, whereas Jeremy Roach was was given those opportunities and now has to share. Sure. Um, RJ, I think, is going to take a step forward just because he he's got the keys finally, unquestionably has the keys. Um, and I don't think that a reclassifying point guard, no matter how good he is, is really a, a threat there from a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, we saw that with Tyrese last year. Like I think he was accountable last year, but it's it's different. It's different. You need to have been there for a little bit. So. 
I think that there's a ton of motivation about how badly last year went. I do think that you need RJ to step up in that regard and be more vocal. It sounds like he is, is starting to do that, um, kind of like Tyrese. But at the same time, like Baycott's not going to be that guy. Is Cormac Ryan that guy? We'll see. Um, but certainly I think that's a fair – it's a fair question. You know, I think the idea that Hubert wasn't getting through to his team last year is certainly somewhat valid. And to what extent he is able to sort of get everybody to buy in together – like when he did it for six weeks, it looked great. Um, he hasn't done it outside of those six weeks yet. So right. <clears throat> you got to prove it to me. That's that's sort of where I'm at. Um, but I certainly would say that the motivation of the way that last year went um, is a very, very powerful incentive to be better. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 one of those things, and we see it a lot, right? You look at Duke fourteen, you lose first round, you bring in a new crop fifteen, and you go the distance. We see these types of things kind of happen. Um, it's not, you know, it, there's balance here. You know, I think for both teams, it's going to be really interesting in the matchups. Like, there's a lot of history between some of these players now that we've got some guys to come back. We were pretty uh animated in chapel hill at the end of last season so i'm sure that brings a little extra edge you know so it's fun i think the rivalry is getting um for anybody that thought that maybe it was kind of gonna shift after roy and k i think we got a pretty decent product here now um two young coaches that are really firing competitive it should be should be fun um last thing for you we'll, we'll kind of go right back to the duke thing quickly you mentioned your expectations is like anything less than an elite eight would be kind of disappointing here Obviously, it's October, not looking at any brackets or anything. If I had to ask you to pick a Final Four, are you putting Duke in there? And then to you, what constitutes a good follow-up sophomore season for John? Yeah, I, I think Final Four, I'm for sure putting Duke in there. Um, and I felt, you know, equally as confidently the Paolo year um, that they would make it. I, I think I think that team had better top-end talent. This team has greater depth of talent. Um but yeah, definitely would put them in my final four. And yeah, like if they are not like they should be a top two seed. Like they're that good. Yeah. They are that good. Um, and Hubert, like, you know, again, I, we, I know we are talking a lot about UNC, but like there's a lot of parallels between these two for me because they're going through similar experiences with the coaching turnover, the expectations, the returners. UNC totally bombed this test last year. You know, they totally flunked. They bought into the hype. They got lazy and they did not play anywhere near their capability. Now John has a team that has all the hype, all the returners. I think they have more talent coming back than North Carolina had coming back last year. And so far there has not been any let up that I can tell. I think he has done a really good job of keeping them motivated, but if they're not a top two seed, if they're not first, like if they're anything below second in the ACC, something has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. They have, they should be that good. And for, you know, I don't think there's any question that he is the long-term guy for this program. I don't think that's up for debate. I think he is pretty fairly clearly the guy. Um, I view him that way. I don't think there's any question in my mind, but I think for fans, like they need to see him not flame out with the roster this good. If Duke loses in the second round this year with this roster, people are going to be angry As, and then, yeah. and they should, and they should be. Because this has this team has the talent to go the distance. So, um, you know, coaching, composition, making those hard conversations. You know, la- think about the switches he made last year. He benched lively for Ryan Young. Okay, that's tough. That's a hard one to do. But he did it, and it ended up for the better. Okay, he had to manage the Derek Whitehead situation a couple of different times. Right. That was very difficult. Guess what? He did it. 
He had to move Tyrese and Jeremy, switch them, put Tyrese back on the ball, move Jeremy off. That's also not easy. That's your senior. Like he's proven the ability to do these things. So I have confidence that he will again. But if Duke is not a top 10 team all year, if they are not making it to at least the second weekend, you know, if they're not making the semifinals of the ACC tournament, like I know anything can happen in a one-off tournament. I know that. I get that. And, and you've got to build in some leeway there. But this is a team that has the talent to win a national championship. And so if you're not in that conversation throughout the year, it's not an, it's not an indication on the talent to me. You know, it's, it's an indication then on your coaching. Um, and I think that John will get him there. I'm, I'm pretty confident, but things can happen. Um, yeah. so, so I think this is a big, you know, it's a big year for him. It's the complete opposite of last year. He had no expectations last year. Nobody was talking about him. It was, you know, ah, uh, how are you taking over for coach K? Right. I think, I think now it's clearly his program. It's clearly, this is his team. He's brought in the vast majority of these guys. Now you got to prove that you can also play, you know, with the, with the bullseye on your back, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing right there is what does it look like now, right? Now it's it's go time. Um, all the rust should be off, and it's we'll see what we got. And you're right, it's a crapshoot. Ask Matt Painter and Purdue fans, right? Like the tournament can be pretty unforgiving. You know, it's a brutal, you know, ask Duke fans from a decade ago. It's a, it can be a brutal experience. Um, and unfortunately, you don't get a chance if you're that good to lose to a higher-seeded team. So it's almost always disappointing, and that's just the nature of it. Um, that's why we love it though. That's what makes it interesting. Brendan, we said we were going to go about 30, 45 minutes. We went an hour here. <laughs> um, so again, appreciate you coming on. Let me let you plug anything you got going on. I know recently you did a mailbag for Duke stuff. What's in the works for you as the season starts to really kind of get on the horizon here? Yeah, well, I've got one project, one Duke project that I've been working on for a couple of months now, and I, I am putting the finishing touches on that. Hopefully that's out next week. I'm really excited about that one. It's one that I think Duke fans probably know some about, but not as much about um so i'm i'm i've really enjoyed reporting this story i think it'll it'll be interesting uh and then obviously you know it's player feature season it's looking around the league um you know i, I have some stuff coming there my role at the athletic is always kind of changing um but definitely there will be a lot of stuff coming in the next couple of weeks and i feel like you know i just booked my flights for champions classic um nice. you know that's nice. that's going to be here you know the thing i'm interested to see is like uh that weekend that they play arizona Mm -hmm. is the same weekend as the Duke-UNC football game, which may be a very consequential game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline here. Um, but certainly, yeah, i got a project coming out hopefully next week and um, more more coming out in the next couple of weeks after that. For sure, for sure. Well, again, thanks for coming back on. Um, I don't know if you're going to be at Media Day in Charlotte, but if so, me and Shu might see you there. We'll link up there. Um, get to kind of see some of these guys in person, really deep dive into what's going on. I know last year, we were all talking about flip and he ended up just kind of completely blowing us out of the water. So maybe power does the same thing. Who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, in the meantime, y'all rate review, subscribe. You can find us on Twitter at the devil's den pod two, four, seven. You can email us at the devil's den pod at gmail.com. Um, we're getting close. Hang in there. Keep the faces strong and the verb high. Go do it.